Welcome to the With Clarity and Purpose podcast with your host, Janet Borrego. Each week, I bring you an inspiring person or message to empower you to live life on your terms so you can be who you want to be, do what you are meant to do, and have the life you deserve to have. We will provide you with practical and cutting-edge approaches to continue getting clarity and direction on your path, mastering your mindset, and gaining confidence to tap into your inner wisdom so you can live on purpose. So, hi everyone, welcome to With Clarity and Purpose, and we are here with Danielle Pasaldua. How's it going, guys? Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here, Danielle. He is the founder of Ufree Electric Bikes, and Danielle, I was reading the reviews, we were testing the e-bike in the street, it is amazing, I'm so excited. Thank you, thank you so much, yeah, no, we, we have a lot of people that haven't you know, explore the transportation modes, and we we have them ride the bike. They're usually like, "Oh my God, this is wow. this is awesome!" Really I'm so it. excited. And I mean, for everyone out there, we actually met seven years ago working our six figures corporate job, it, right? And we, we both decided to to throw that in the garbage can. <laughs> exactly, and that is really the purpose of all these interview series. Is showcasing stories of people who are living with intention, with purpose, and are gaining clarity as they go, right? As you are, Daniel. So, I'm just curious. I'm just so curious. Let's start with your decision of going from corporate to entrepreneurship. Yeah. What triggered that? I mean, what's your thought process? How did you know that e-bikes was a thing? Tell me more about it. Well, this is a very loaded <laughs> question. I guess to, to start, Maybe a little bit of my background. Yeah, I love it. My dad was an entrepreneur, yeah. and um, when I was when I was young, I, mean, I had a job. Uh, I was making like a minimum wage, and um, my dad pushed me to start like a little tutoring business. Wow! So I was making like you know five twenty-five or six bucks an hour, nice. and um, and I started tutoring kids in math, and I would make twenty bucks an hour, so yeah. it's like four times better. I love and, uh, and the majority of the kids that I tutored, they, they wanted to learn fractions. And so it was so easy, and I was like, oh man, this is awesome. And then my dad was like, well, you don't really have a business, you just have a self-employed job. Like a business is actually a system where you can step away. Wow. And that was it. So he was like, why don't, now that you have kind of a little bit of, like, why don't you try to find some people to tutor the kids? And you just kind of like manage it. And um, I didn't do that <laughs> but we, I think that, like that seed um, started oh, out, and then I kind of got a chance to see my dad struggle. He had he had a business for like ten years, and well, what's his business? He had an industrial machine shop. Nice. Did a lot of uh, like tool and die work for the Kilodorans in Reynosa, you know, and um, a good learning is that if my dad had sold his business in year seven, I mean. We would have been in a very different area code, not just zip code. Wow. Uh, but when he shut his business down in year 10, he got all his money. I would say he got his money back and, and had a good salary. Mm -hmm. And seeing that risk curve and that you know things worked out all right, 
you just kind of continued working, invested in real estate, and it, it kind of gave me the palate to, to want to take some risk and bet on myself. Wow. Because I saw my dad do that, and we didn't go bankrupt. But like, yes, it's tough, but I saw him just engrossed in this passion. Of, like, he, he didn't like the mundane job he had. He yeah. And I love that, that he literally programmed that in you since you were like a little kid. I mean, whenever I have children in the future, I mean, that's something I would love to do. Yeah, so I went to pharmacy school and... Uh, I didn't know that. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I wanted to become a pharmacist and I went there without even working in a pharmacy. Wow. It was a horrible decision. <laughs> and um, I, I say this story because I, I hated it. After I did my first year, I worked in a pharmacy and knew it absolutely wasn't for me. And I remember telling my dad and my dad said, then quit. I, I remember being like, oh, dad, like, you know, a pharmacist makes six figures. <laughs> it's a stable job. Everybody likes the drug dealer. Yeah, exactly. Everyone needs drugs. You know, you go to the pharmacist. People just ask you questions. It's like free advice. You know, you don't have to like pay to go to. You know, and anyway, but I, I hated it because like I wasn't helping people. I was just counting my fives and improving things. And um, ultimately, I left and I eventually got with the chemistry degree and then became a mechanical engineer. That's where we, we met when we both decided to work in oil and gas. <laughs> yeah, the 100% only reason I worked in oil and gas is because the offer was like $25,000. Yeah, it was like yeah. crazy. So yeah, we were like, Man, uh, I totally understand. I'm, I'm down with this. Wow, so okay, you started studying pharmacy and you decided to move away from that, right? So I did because I didn't like it, but it was kind of this theme of my dad telling us or challenging us to bet on ourselves. Uh, and we only had one life, and, and if it failed, we could always go back and get a job. That's such an important learning. Like the option of, of the status quo is always there. And um, I think he t taught us that like, you know, whether that starting salary is 40,000 or 200,000, You know, I think sometimes people make like $130,000 yeah. and, and they're scared because they see their other options. They're like, oh, they're only $100K or $90K. You know, I worked so hard to get here. And it's like, well, yes, maybe you did really work hard to get there. But um, take a chance on yourself, chase your dreams, because the delta between, like, if you did, like, completely fail and then yeah. just went, you started at 100K, failed, and then went to go work at, like, some place for, like, 90K. You know, one, you can still try to get other jobs. And two, you can always, if you were a 130K person, you'll probably get promoted in that 90K job yes. quickly to the salary that you were deserving of. And um, I think just take that bet on yourself. I love that you said that because always moving away from something or quitting something or leaving something that you have built and is stable, right? It's such a challenging decision that all of us go through, right? 100%. <laughs> It's crazy, and even me, you know, like deciding to leave my corporate career, I also had to go through that process and think to myself, what are the options? And what's the worst thing that can happen? I can get back into corporate. I'm prepared, I'm ready. I mean, I mean, but, you can go get a job yeah. at a fraction of your salary, make ends exactly. meet while you're trying to find that other Yeah, company. totally. So, you know, even my little sister, actually, she worked in Wall Street made a ton of money and by the time she was like 24 she absolutely hated her job and uh, went to pursue a PhD in psychology. Oh yes. And I, I think that, that like, like that, that, that challenge and bet on yourself you know from my dad is what stuck. Wow I mean you have inspired me so much and looking back into my life right 
I started, I started studying chemical engineering, right? I wasn't great. I always did great on engineering, but I knew, even though I was studying that, that, that wasn't it. But I just didn't know back then what's going to be for me. And I think as I started experiencing new things, and betting on myself and not following the status quo, that's when I started to understand what was the thing that I connected the most with. Yeah. So how was that clarity journey for you? Yeah, so why, why did I, you know, so I'd say I, I went to go work in corporate America, yeah. oil and gas, things were great, I was making money, I moved to Houston. You know, I don't want to like, like downplay the benefits of it. Yeah, I, yeah, I got to buy it like a house, um, invest in things. Um, I traveled a lot, I think my first two roles. And then what I would say is in my first role, I went to a work in Saudi Arabia yeah. and I didn't pay taxes. I got a massive bonus and I made more money than I ever made in my life. <laughs> and I was absolutely depressed yes. um, because yes. everybody who was there in Saudi Arabia, one, you were working all the time. Two, it, it's a bit of a culture change. And three, I was 25 and everybody who was there was like 50. Yeah. So I didn't really have a lot of friends and I, I just kind of took home like, like, man, you can chase the dollar, but like, if you're not enjoying it, like, it's, it's kind of empty. Yeah, you And so after that, I, I continued my, my corporate career, um, various different roles. And I think really I had a bad boss and I remember just not really feeling like appreciated or in my corporate job. It was very much a culture of like follow the leader, like yeah. don't change and innovate. And I kind of realized that I'm a little bit more of a, not necessarily like a creator, but like an inventor. Yeah. And I like to try new things and test new things and tweak. And um, it just didn't suit well in the, uh, the organization that I was in. Then I changed roles. I had one that I really, really loved. Um, where I could provide a lot of innovation and free thinking, and then you know I had a boss came in and kind of like shut that down, and it really kind of made me start exploring other options. But I'd always known, like even since day one when I walked in that corporate job, that I was gonna at the very least have my own business, and if I failed, I could always go back to that corporate job. <laughs> so I, I read this book called No One at the Wheel. Uh -huh. It's about transportation, and um, just a few things really jumped out at me. One was that for every car in the United States, there's six to eight parking spots where the real estate footprint in West Virginia. Really? Yeah, and I mean, you think about it, it's all like high value real estate. It's not like in Iowa. It's all like in the downtown Houston, or you look at HEB, and the parking lot is way bigger than the HEB. And um, you know, another thing is like the car weighs, you know, two to 4,000 pounds, and uh, you weigh like, you know, 100. To, to 250, yeah, you know? Yeah. So the energy cost is not to move the people, it's to move the object. Oh, I and, love um, it. I just kind of started thinking, and like electric cars, they won't solve the real estate problem. And so I, I kind of, you know, I got headhunted by a company that was in like the transportation micro-mobility space, and it, it was interesting, but I, I didn't eventually end up working for them just because it's it kind of chaos. But I was thinking, and I was like, hey, I wanted to leave Exxon, I wanted to go to transportation, what is the exact, maybe there's a maintenance repair company, supply chain, you know, there's different things. And a few things happened that, that really helped. One was uh, I found a mentor, mm. a really good mentor. His name's Thomas Markham, and he had successfully raised over $20 million for a, a startup before. Wow, and how did you meet him? I mean, how did you so I actually met him through a connection with my little sister. He was in the biotech space, so very different as a consumer product. But um, 
he taught me a lot about capital fundraising, how we're gonna do this, different things like that. And for me, this is getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I, when I rode my first e-bike, I saw it as a solution to a lot of the problems in the book. Like you still carry things, it's, it's not okay, right? Well, it's not, it did, you don't have the real estate problem with yeah, the car exactly. and those things. And I kept thinking, like, this is a real, like, solution. Like, the scooters, they have a low center of gravity. You can't really go too fast because if you hit a bump, you're going and, to... Um, and you can't really carry anything. So I just kept thinking. The one that I rode was very clunky and heavy. I think it was, like, 80 pounds. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it was cool. Like, I liked yeah, yeah. it. And, um, and so I kept thinking about it. I started to, like, just tinker and, like, make a new bike myself with, like, parts of the email wow. or something like that. That was impressive. <laughs> and, uh, and my little sister asked me, like, hey, bro, I kind of want an e-bike. And um, I remember telling her, like, well, Becca, this one's kind of ugly. And it, you know, it cost me a lot because I bought it part by part. Why don't you go buy one on the market? Um, and uh, it just seemed that, like, Everything that was available didn't really fit her use case unless she spent like $4,000. Crazy. I didn't know they were that ex I mean, yours is like an amazing price and you have all those things that you couldn't find in the market. Yeah. You just saw it, like crazy. So what I would say is um, with e-bikes, they're usually about like 800 to like five grand. Yeah, that's and, um, wow. and what she wanted to do, she had no desire to go off road. She had no desire. So she lives in Boston. Uh -huh. And um, I just kept thinking it. I, I felt like the, the female e-bikes were very like dainty uh -huh. and like Nantucket style, but they still let you go fast. So we're like the battery and the motor on the back of it, poor weight distribution. They let you go fast, but it was just kind of like unsafe. And I felt like it was kind of a disservice to my little sister. It was like, yeah, but that looks pretty, but it's not really a <laughs> yeah. good bike. And I definitely wouldn't recommend you buy it for like urban commuting because if you use it on a daily basis, you would fall off it. Wow. So then it kind of like showed me that there was kind of like a hole in the market. Yeah. And you know, that was kind of the inspiration behind it. And so we started kind of percolating idea, kind of building a business plan. And eventually Thomas really helped me out. Like how to protect capital fundraise, the lawyers. Wow. I mean, there is so much. I'm just like inspired here. Like, wow, all those things happen. There is so much to that story, Daniel. And one of the things of gaining clarity that you mentioned that I also went through, it's knowing your why, right? Because your why never changes, really. In my case, I wanted to help people. I was obsessed with knowing how people behave and why they behave a certain way. So very heavy on the psychological aspect, mental and emotional. But I didn't know the vehicle of getting there. Now I know better that it's coaching, teaching. But in your case, it was similar, right? Yeah, I remember being stuck for like two years, you know, my corporate job, knowing that I didn't like it, knowing that I wanted yeah. to leave, but just not really knowing what to get. Exactly, and it's normal. But I also think that period like is important because if you're not frustrated enough, yeah, you never make the leap. And then on top of that, you, I don't know, there's just something that like embrace that time and instead of just like uh, complaining, yeah, yeah, start, yeah, like trying to embrace because the more that you're just like this sucks, I hate this, I'm going to work, you're not thinking of any new ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is interesting because. I think I went through a phase of that, like in my first corporate job, I just knew that wasn't it. And then I got into a place that was a lot better. I love the culture. 
And I didn't live in a desperate situation, but I just knew that it wasn't it. And the second corporate job, the same. So I do think that it's important to recognize and take action, even though you're not in crisis state, you know? I mean, it varies, and a lot of times I know pain is a huge motivator to get us going, and at the same time, I think being proactive is important and recognizing, you know, like, and taking the leap of faith, even if you're not in crisis. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? So, I think it's good to take the leap of faith when you're not in, like, a crisis mode, but I think like what determines your crisis mode or not is more your your mental mindset. Yes, totally. Um, because <laughs> there, there were times when I would just like, and excuse my language, like, yeah, uh, yeah. like just like, like bitch about my corporate yeah. job, complain, and, and all I was doing for like three months, and I wasn't like, nothing was changing. <laughs> um, I was just, and I was so like, if this person I didn't work with, or if this, you know, like, you know, if, if Exxon was just like this. Yeah, like the beating side of the equation. Yeah, and as long as you're in that, like, I wasn't searching any other jobs. I definitely wasn't brainstorming business plans. I was just complaining. Yeah. <laughs> and recruiting so people to, to support <laughs> that, like, hey, you know what? Oh my God. I, I am worth it that I shouldn't be the one complaining. And, and I should, you know, you should be like happy that I can complain. And let's complain to it. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it part. <laughs> That's fine, but like nothing, like I think that, yeah, that I like, love that so much. That season is necessary, but it needs to be a season, not a lifetime. I love that so much. And you gotta take action, right? You yeah, like, if you don't do anything, like, ain't nothing gonna change. And don't complain because you're not doing anything to change anything. Yeah, and complaining doesn't count as an activity. <laughs> I love it. That is so much. I remember seeing a story of you on Instagram, just writing your goals. I think this was right before you actually quit your job. I did, yeah, yeah. I mean, what did you learn on the process of taking action, right? Because, I mean, writing your goals was something super important. So what are the things that you do frequently that define how successful you are in your business? So I think you, you always have to have a plan, a 30-day, a quarterly, a year plan, yeah. things like that, and, and it's always shifting, but if, you know, like that saying, like, uh, like if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there, <laughs> yes. um, and that really is true, like, if you don't have, like, a direction, it doesn't really matter, like, so, you know, I think step one is, like, do you like what you're doing, do you not, um, okay, step two is, if you don't, do you want to change it? Yeah. Because maybe maybe you don't like it, but it's not worth it for you to change. Exactly. And I've been in that place in my life too. And so for me, I've always kind of done goal setting because I want to feel like I accomplished it. Killing it. You're inspiring so much with your story. And um, okay, so this mentor of yours helped you, right, to get more knowledge about the market, how everything works. From there, from acquiring knowledge to you actually <laughs> creating a product, which is an amazing product. What was that process? <laughs> so, I think I think there's a kit to bring a product to market, uh-huh. and it's the same kit whether it's you know your bracelet or like a car. Wow! And uh, once you know that kit, you know like I, I recommend you just bring a koozie to market. And then, you know, go then bring like a car because the cars just stick differently more complicated. Oh, okay. no, um, I do probably looking back, I probably should have brought like a t shirt to market. And then and then work my way up to an e bike. But the kit is the same and it kinda starts with like, is there a need 
is there a hole in the market? Um, find someone to help you, you know, kind of choose your lane. And, you know, in this case, it's like, a, you know, a hybrid e-commerce business. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, we kind of started just did a bunch of market analysis. Um, at that time, I, I recruited like a few of my friends to like work with me. Nice. Um, this is kind of funny, I actually had like five of my friends working with me. Really? And how was that? Because a lot of times, and I was going to ask you about that, a lot of times people feel that they're clo the closest people to them, like family, friends, they, they are not going to believe in their dreams. So, so how was that for you? This was a little different. I had like the idea and everything. I had a bunch of my friends working with me, and uh, there, was, there was like four or five of us. And um, I just kind of said, "Guys, it's not worry about equity at the moment. Like, I feel like some of you guys are gonna drop off after like two months." Nice consultation, clears in the beginning. Yeah, like I have a feeling this is gonna be too much work for you, and you're gonna, like, you're gonna fizzle and be like, "I don't want this." So like, let's not, you know, hey, I own this much. Let's just like, do we work together? Um, we work so together? important. Uh, well, I'd actually say it's a huge mistake. Because oh, really? okay. yeah, yeah. So my mentor was like, "Dude, fire all your friends today." I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "You can't start a company in 20% equity. You're gonna get so diluted." He's like, "You'll hate yourself." And he told me this story about this guy who, similar to that, but it was in the biotech space, and very successful company, and it ended up being acquired for like 450 million, and the founder got like six, and no, I mean, six million chump change, but like. In the well, hundreds, because yeah. he started out with X amount and then the dilution, wow. yeah. and he was like, "Do fire all your friends, raise money, and pay people to do what you need them to do." Oh, uh, okay, that's like good. I mean, I watch Shark Tank. That's the knowledge I have about products, but that's yeah. He was, he was like, he was like, dude, wow. figure out how much money you need to raise, get a structured business plan, raise that amount of money. Pay people to execute on the oh, tasks, but do not give. You can have like one co-founder, but you can't have four. You know, so I did that. Okay, so you told your friends, hey, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I called. I called my friend Matt. I was like, hey Matt, you missed the last meeting. And you did this and that. And like, I just you're gone. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I'm not as dedicated as you are. I was like, well, dude. Yeah, yeah there you go. Um, yeah. I had another friend, and he, like, what I mentioned, said he's like, how much are you willing to put into this? Like 50k. He was like, okay, you don't need to put that much. Please don't. How much do you think your friends are win? Like, what is the number that like they drop off? And I'll be like, 20k. Yeah. And he was like, okay, well, just tell them 20k then. You know, they all dropped off except for one of them, and uh, we continue to work. Nice feel, Yeah, it was easy for like guys. It's put up or shut up time. 20k or you're out. And uh, wow. Like, ah, yeah. I mean, it's uncomfortable, but. So you did that. How did you raise money from your friends and family? I mean, how was so, the process for you? So I say there are two ways. There are two businesses that you can create. You can do a bootstrapped, or I guess you can bootstrap it, and you can make a small business, or you can make like like a startup. And what I mean by startup is one that's scalable, you can grow, things like that. They're very different like use cases. So. With a, a startup, when you're pre-revenue, you always have this this problem of like, well, how much is the business worth? Yeah. And you're like, well, I don't know. Do you have any IP? No, I need money to get IP a patent. Well, do you have any sales? Obviously not. Well, like, how much is it worth? And, and then this is where people will bicker back and forth of like, well, a hundred k is worth a million dollars, and a hundred k is ten percent. No, I think a hundred. I think it's only worth five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Hundred k is twenty percent. There were two financial instruments set up. It's called a convertible note or a safe. And what that means is, hey, I'm going to invest X amount of money, 
and we're going to hold off on saying how much percentage that is until a conversion event. So the, the deal is, hey, I'm going to give you some money to get started, and you're going to benefit me by me believing in you at the beginning by giving me like a discount on the share price whenever we do have a valuation. Okay, cool. So you start up, uh, and there's two really two instruments, a save or convertible note, and uh, the way they work is, hey, I'm raising 500000 and uh, you know, if you invest, you're going to get a discount on equity at the point of time of the Series A round when I'm raising like $1 million, $10 yeah, million. Yeah, yeah. And that discount, the standard discount is 20%. Wow. Or there's a valuation gap. Which means if the, if the startup is worth above X, you get like you're locked at a percentage to where when the startup is worth more than that valuation gap. Like for example, if it's, if you say it's worth two million dollars and uh, or let's say five million and you invest in hundred K, that's two percent. Yeah. But it, and if it comes in at fifty million, then you get like two percent of fifty million. Wow. But if it comes in much lower than that, you must get a lower amount of that. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so what I do is a discount on equity at 20% on the time of Nice. And so we started, our goal is to eventually raise more money and uh, have a more differentiated product and other things like that. To do that R&D, you do need to raise more capital. And along that process, you know, we'll have to do a Series A round and other things like that. And on that time, the early seed round investors, their investment will convert, but at a discount. I love it. And what did you learn, right? Because you had to talk to friends and family. You, so. uh, what did you learn in the process of really explaining the why and persuading them? In some, I mean, what did you learn so, with those interactions? I think everyone should raise money. Even if your business only is $10,000 to start, yeah, yeah. you should at least raise 2000 And the reason is because one, you'll have to create a structure like pitch deck. And I think our very first pitch deck had like insert logo here. We didn't have a name or logo. Yeah. Um, two, I think you should do that, but then it gives you some like ideas and other people are gonna like poke holes in it. And you need to go through that period of like, hmm, you know, is this worth my time? Like like why can I not even raise two thousand dollars or mm. you know things like that? Yeah, exactly. And it, 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 two things. It may be hey I don't believe in you or I don't believe in the business model. Exactly. But uh, you really get two answers. You get yes on the best. You get no, <laughs> and you get no, but I'll tell you why. Okay. Okay. That's more data. Um, <laughs> and the majority of the time, like you know, people would just say like mm, I don't know. So my minimum investment is twenty five thousand. Yeah, yeah. So you think about it, you know, not a ton of our friends can just throw around twenty five thousand. Yes, yes, yes. It's not an insignificant amount of money. Yeah, yeah. When they said no, would you pursue them more than that, or you're like, okay, no, if you're not fully committed, then you're out. What What is your approach to that? Well, so one, when they're invested, they're not like like in or out. Like they're yeah. giving you money. And, and, yeah, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say. When they say no, but sometimes it can be like not right now, or it can mean like mm, I need to see a prototype, or I need to see yeah, yeah. Like so, one of my friends he asked me, I'm very he's one of my first people I pitched to, and his response was, "Okay, dude, I want to see a prototype, and uh, I want to know if you're gonna burn this boat." Yeah, yeah. I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Dude, you're on all in, you quit your job. <laughs> I'll do that." He's like, "Okay, well, come back to me when you've done that." I was like, 
what? Dude, I need money to get the prototype. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They check already. Okay. <laughs> so we, we did raise some money and, and whatnot, and then we did our pitch deck a million times. And, and then you just make a list and you just gotta ask people. You gotta go for it. And I would say, depending on the type of business that you're trying to, you need to be a quality enough person to raise 250 to a million dollars. Yeah, I mean. Otherwise, you don't work in the business, probably work for yourself. Yeah, yeah, that is totally true. And I was asking because, you know, I'm on the services like side, like you're more the product side. Um, but I love this quote that I heard one in a conversation or in a meeting, it still always happens. Yeah. Of the exactly. client will sell you on their limitations or you sell them on the possibilities, right? And I'm just talking about even my coaching, right? I don't know if that will, uh, would apply for the product. But I think it's so important to understand the why, you know, why they're not investing, right? Is that something they don't believe they can do? They don't have money? I mean, what, what is really, because a lot of times they can say, I don't have money. But <laughs> you can say, I mean, that's exactly what you need to do. And if you continue doing that, five years from now, you don't have money. The same thing. So you gotta, like, take it better on yourself. I love that you said that since the beginning. Yeah, yeah, no, you have to go all in. All in. So, like, yes. what, what are some of the reasons why I think my startup was successful? One, because the market's there, we have a good product. But, like, another reason is because, like, my back is always against the wall. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you know, I have to perform. There is no plan B. Or, or I lose a bunch of people's money and I go back and get a job. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I don't want to do that. I love that. So, like, when you, when you haven't, when you're still, like, in this, like, uh, maybe I'm going to quit, maybe I'm not, you know, maybe I'll go all in, like, don't even do it. Yes. And I love that because I always tell my coaching clients and everyone else, when you're pursuing something, you got to know what you're willing to sacrifice. Yeah. Because once you have that clear, when you actually do it, you knew what you were going to face. You got to face it first. Yeah. And then you're ready. So what were kind of like the obstacles and challenges? When we started, you we were like, let's talk about the ops, let's talk about the yeah, challenges. Yeah, yeah. So, so what are some like so, challenges that you want to So I think some of the like highs were just like getting our first prototype samples, seeing some of the market, working, iterating, you know, talking to vendors and suppliers out of Taiwan and figuring things out you know those were some of the highs um, seeing the market like for e-bikes kind of like, take off during the pandemic caused a lot of problems uh, not really like helping yeah um, because the market was growing slowly and like it just exploded and then it was like hard to get parts and lead times got insanely long and things like that then um some of the other things that i, I mean definitely had a lot of down moments like fundraising's work <laughs> calling people and getting no's and why no? Uh, you know, it's like, dude, just tell me why, or what's the deal, yeah, and that's yeah. it, or this and that. What keeps you going? After receiving many notes, what keeps you going to say, hey, this was just one person that's going Well, I think there's a reality that, like, with all things in life, like, there's an opportunity. Like, for example, people ride the bike and, and will like it. Yeah. And there's a fraction of them that aren't going to ride the bike. Yeah, yeah. There's a fraction of them that are going to ride it. There's a fraction of them that are going to ride it and say, this is awesome, but I don't know how I use this. There's a fraction that are also going to say, hey, this is awesome, um, I, I would use this, and I don't have the money. Yeah. And there's a fraction that are like, I would use this, I like it better than the other ones, and I have the money. And 
yes, it's easy or great if you can just find 100 of the very last people, and I think that's where like targeted advertising on like Google or other places to help. Yes, do you know Instagram on Facebook or maybe Google? Well, we, we, we're starting to do advertising yes. on platforms to build more content, but the, the point of it is, is that like, if you only talk to five people and you're like, nobody bought it, you know, like, if you only talk to five potential investors, like, like one, they gotta have disposable income. And two, you just have to talk to enough people. And also, like, as people see you grind, and sometimes they're like, man, like, maybe. I believe in him. Yeah, yeah. He shows up. You know, because I remember my board member telling me, I was like, how long do you think it'll take to raise 500K? And he was like, a year. I was like, what? <laughs> and he was like, unless you, like, well established, like, it's going to take you at least a year. And I was like, no, it'll take two months. I was like, Okay. <laughs> I love it. And so, yeah, you're getting those uh, was a grind. There was a really low point in my startup, and it was right in December. Um, so the, the person that I've been working with, it's not that we didn't see eye to eye, but um, it was nice to have a partner. We were working through different things. We were trying to go, and uh, you just didn't see it the same way I did. No. And, um, and I think the risk level was too much. And eventually he kind of told me like, dude, I, I don't think I'm ready to quit my job right now. Yeah. Why don't you delay our launch a little bit? And I was like, dude, I've taken a lot of my friends' money. Yeah. And um, right. he also hadn't raised any money. There was some line of sight from money coming in from his network, but he had himself hadn't raised any. And like deals and wires hadn't been you know, finalized. And um, it was frustrating because we were telling him like, dude, you're, you're just not in the same way I am. Mm -hmm. And um, Ultimately, we had to go our separate ways, but it hurt. And, uh, you know, one, because, you know, I thought, well, I, I felt kind of betrayed and lied to. Yeah. But on top of that, um, you know, it was like, dude, we talked to a lot of people and said that we were all in on this. And, like, yeah. Clearly, there's still some questions that are narrowed in your mind. And, like, I can't run with somebody who's not on the same pace. And ultimately, we went our separate ways, but it was a lot that happened because I also got promoted at my job that same week. Oh my god, isn't that crazy no, when that absolutely. happens? Let me tell I you. I got promoted to my dream job that week. <laughs> uh, I always wanted to be a commercial trader. I got promoted. I wasn't happy about the promotion because it was like, when yeah. you change jobs, it just won't work. Yeah, well, let me tell you that whenever you're close to making a decision like that, things like that will happen because the same thing happened to me when I left not this last corporate job, the previous one. And the chunk of the delta of money was huge. And I'm like, okay, I'm leaving. Bye. But I feel in some way you'll be tested to see if you're really committed to whatever you said you are. 100%. 100%. And on that, like, I think when I quit my job, like, raising money got so much easier. Um, because it was like, dude, you know, he wasn't making nothing and he walked away from it. Like, he's <laughs> You're all in now. <laughs> like, like, maybe it won't work, maybe it will, but like, it's not going to be because of lack of effort. Wow. And uh, I think that's one thing that is solidified. Um, there were a few other things that, that solidified, but uh, yeah, that was, that was definitely a low point. Going through quality control issues was yeah. another low point. You know, there, there was... There's been many moments, don't worry. I mean, yeah, I love it. I think all of us go through that in this entrepreneurship journey that times can be lonely, you know, like, also. Like. It, it, it can be lonely, and on top of that, it can feel, it can also just feel like you have so many things in your head, and like staying focused on like a plan, like, I have this and I have that, and just like, oh, wait a minute, these are my weekly goals, this is what I have to get done. <laughs> That's, that's me, like I have a lot of ideas that I document actually. Yeah. Any idea I just document. 
And like you said, I gotta stay focused on whatever I said. I will remember I had so many, I'll tell you some distractions. Here's some negatives when I can keep people from doing this. <laughs> yeah, that would, would consider this interview success. I remember my board member telling me, I was like, dude, we're gonna do like a pre-order gift. And they're like, oh, yeah. And, and I was like, yeah, dude, like a backpack, you'll have like a bell, a lock in it. And he was like, he's also French and very direct. He was like, it's utterly useless. Yeah. So what do you mean? He's like, nobody's gonna go to your page and buy the bike because of some stupid pre-order gift. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? Dude, it'll create a buzz, unbox it, it's awesome. And he's like, no, it's utterly useless. And you'll waste so much time. And I was like, oh, all right. He's like, they're gonna go and buy your bike because of your bike. And they're gonna go to Amazon to buy a bike lock. Yeah. And uh, they're not gonna care wow. about these other little things. Like stay focused on your one thing. Even like from like an ad strategy, like yes, it's good to get exposure, good to go to farmers markets and all these other things, but that is not scalable. And you won't invest in my company if I tell you, well, how did you sell 100 units? Well, I just went to farmers markets and sold them. Okay, or I ran this type of Google ad, this was the best type of Google ad, and this was the result, and if we just pump this much into Google ads, we can sell to X locations. Yeah. And so those were some of the things that we learned out of this. And um, I well, think staying, one thing. staying focused, yeah. and like, because unless you have that one thing done and down, you shouldn't go to another thing. Move to the other thing. Yeah. There is a book called The One Thing. I yeah. read it, it's so good. That <laughs> reminded me of what Yeah, because like, if you're all over the place, you're not gonna execute well. Yeah. And a business can survive on execution alone, but it cannot survive on like IP or strategy alone. Yeah, yeah. Like, I look at Dell, they just did things better than Compact. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a better computer or anything, they just made the computer. Well, I mean, I guess they did, but like... And even Apple, they have few products. Even though yeah, they're the products, huge, they, they do them very, very well. They, exactly, and that's so important. Now, you do mention, because I want to talk more about your product, you do mention there are some distinctions, right? Competitive advantages between your product and others in the market. Tell so, Yeah, so I think in the product, like, Sector, like you have to choose a lane. Yeah. Um, like uh, there are other e-bike companies that are like the motorcycle e-bike, or there are other ones that are this. I saw a lane in that like I want to be the most complete, functional urban commuter, like pound for pound, best e-bike on the market, and uh, I want to know the features that make it the best for like an urban commuter, because I want to change like the real estate problem associated with the car and. I, I, I'd like people to use a less energy intensive uh, form of transit so that we can, yeah, necessarily get off of fossil fuels, but just in general, like, use less energy to get around. So that was kind of my focus. It was always going to be like, hey, we're going to be an urban commuter lane. What seemed there was like, well, is there, a, like, with my little sister, like, a good urban commuter advertised to, to women? And we, we kind of started exploring that. And within that, we realized, like, hey, look, we, we have a good unisex or urban commuter bike and what within your lane you have to kind of different differentiate yourself mm-hmm. further yeah. and it's scary to choose a lane <laughs> and the reason it's scary is because like you're saying no to everything else yeah like you want a motorcycle e-bike there's another better company you want a fat tire off-roading e-bike there's another better company and you're like oh well. like you can't do that everybody to everything because you will just fail. Like, your podcast is specific on clarity and yeah. purpose. It's got nothing to do with wellness. Well, I mean, yes, so mental wellness, yeah. but 
you know, psychology we have, yeah. and all those other people could be doing, but you're specific to one thing, entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was one of the things, like I wanted to change urban commuting, and I wanted to get offer a one price complete kit of what is considered like the best e-bike pound pound. So I wanted it to be lightweight, to where if the battery ran out, or if you chose to, you could still ride it like a regular bicycle and exercise. A lot of people ask me like, well, can I still ride on the bike and work out? 100% you can do that with <laughs> You cannot do that with most all e-bikes on the market. Wow, I don't know um, what else I wanted the design to have an integrated battery so it's prettier yes. and uh, more aesthetic and not this like clunky big thing. Yeah. I didn't want it to be like, oh yeah, but that's an e-bike. I wanted it to be like, man, how is he going so fast? I I also wanted uh, like the lights, the fenders, uh, and for the opportunity for you to carry things all to be included. Yeah. So I wanted all inclusive e bike. And then the last thing I wanted was I wanted you to be comfortable and be able to you know go at the right speeds. And so with that we have the front suspension and we have a seat suspension. And those sorts of things, you know, we included because like if you're gonna ride our e-bike on a daily basis, it's going to be because you're really comfortable on it, you trust it, and it's functional. Yeah. And so that's our lane. It's you know we were segmenting even more in that lane of like hey there's one price like no frills it's the most complete pound for pound best value for for your money. I love it, and I love that you said about niching down. Right? Some people call it like niche. Yeah. Um, and, and one of my teachers always say, hey, who needs more of money? Well, who gets paid better? A generalist or a researcher? You know, like at the end of the day, you gotta yeah. choose. You have to choose. Yeah, marketing. And then on top of that, you have to, like, even for us, like, I don't see us making a $1,500 to $1,000 yeah, yeah. There's a lot of companies out there, if you don't have the money, that's a, there are good products I can recommend. I see us staying in the two to three thousand yeah. dollar lane, or it. two to four thousand, maybe we offer like a more premium bike at some point. But um, we, we want to be targeted and I always want to offer a complete e-bike. I don't want you to get to the cart and it's like, well it doesn't include lights. <laughs> the fenders are extra. It's like, okay, well this is great when it doesn't rain or when there's not potholes. Yeah, not I agree. You know. Yeah, you have a complete product. Yeah. I want to talk as we are completing the interview. I want to talk a little bit about money, right? Because uh, that's a huge limiting factor for a lot of people, or maybe what they believe about money. So tell me about that. What are some of the beliefs you had about money before that maybe they have evolved to something else, or, or what are the beliefs you have right now with this journey of yours? So I think money is a tool. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And within that, like, I think when you're passionate, like, the world will reward you for that passion and pay you what you're worth. And when you work a job, you're trading time for money. And if you do really, really well, like, you'll get, like, a 10, maybe 15% raise. Yeah. So you go from, like, 100K for easy numbers, you may go from to, like, 102,000 to, like, 110,000. Yeah. But I think the thing with money is, if you figure out something on the side where you can solve a problem and add value, you can get a much higher raise than at work. Let yeah. me give you an example of that. My very first year at Exxon, I saved some money, and um, my dad was like, don't buy a car. And, uh, 
and I went out and because my dad did real estate, I bought an apartment complex of four units, like a fourplex. And that purchase gave me a much bigger raise than like I think I, I was able to cash flow and make yeah. like twelve thousand a year off the apartment complex. And um, I didn't get like a twelve thousand dollar raise. Yeah. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is like if you can find a hole in a need and do something yourself, it can provide more incremental income than that raise you're trying to get. Now, I'm not saying don't perform at work yeah, or all these yeah. other things. Like you, you need to like I look at work as like a development opportunity as to how you can become a better supervisor, manager, detail oriented. Super helpful. But don't necessarily put all your eggs in one basket for it to be what gives you financial like income. The reason is because if the business is doing bad, you may not get a raise. Mm-hmm. Or it may be that you're great, but like there's just you know eight people and only two people can get raises or three people can <laughs> yeah. get raises, and so you're you're number four. You're still really good. Or you're number three and you only got like a you know, three to five thousand dollar raise, or yeah. it might not be up to you. At the end of exactly. The yeah. Like so, part of it is like find what you're passionate about, find a problem, and then generate value associated with that. And the value that you generate will pay you what you're worth. Yeah. And so if you don't generate good value, well then you're Okay. And there is a point where you get to automate things or maybe yeah, optimize yeah. and you'll get passive income. You don't have to be there. Yeah, so and, and it could be like as simple as like like I was teaching kids fractions for 20 bucks an hour. But there's a lot of kids that don't know fractions. And so if you just do that 10 hours a week, you know, that's 200 bucks. Exactly. And then if you do that, you know, four times a month, that's like 800 bucks. Yeah. You know, so like you can figure out like, like teaching fractions isn't that hard. Yeah. If you want to make more money, there are ways you just gotta be creative. Exactly. Even you recording a video and just starting to sell it to yeah. of I mean, but today it's so easy. Like so you just, easy. Yes. You can just like sell a knickknack on and, Amazon or just, yeah. just put yourself out there on TikTok. Yeah, that's true. Like anything. Yeah. But but you do have to like take a leap. Yeah, show up and be consistent. Like yeah. that's a big one. Awesome. So as we conclude, right? What are some I don't know the top three advice that you would give those people that maybe are seeking clarity or are interested in the entrepreneurship journey? What are some things? For Man, you? some advice that I would give them. One would be figure out what you're passionate about because you will have so many lows that if you're not in it, like you'll 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 bail. Yeah to find where you're going to add value in the marketplace. And then the last thing is like, you just have to be 100% in on it. And if you're not 100% in on it, it's probably because you're not passionate about it. But like, <laughs> when you hear some like crazy success stories, like like Peloton, or yeah. you know, some of these other entrepreneurship stories, or like the company is IPOing, like, he went through so many problems and no's and this and that. And I think I listened to their like, podcast about them starting up. I think they went through like a few million dollars. They didn't even have a product yet. <laughs> and, and that hadn't felt horrible, but he really wanted this. And if you really wanted that enough, you'll figure it out. Oh, I love it. This has been such an inspiring interview. Like, I know I'm going to finalize this and I'm going to be like ready to go. And I know everyone watching this will feel the same way because your story is so inspiring. You're leading by action. Everything you're doing 
their product. I mean, hearing yourself here, right, which is theoretical, to see the actual product is just impressive. I mean, going through this process, I'm just so thankful that you got to be here. And just tell us, Daniel, where can they find the e-bikes you yeah. So you, you can follow our Instagram page, youfree.bikes, um, or just youfree.com. And the, the inspiration between the, the brand name is the word euphoric and free. Ooh, the combination of I don't know. <laughs> and yeah, just that, that's, you know, when you're in, in a car, you're traveling, yeah. you're and uh, you're definitely not feeling euphoria. And you're definitely not free because you're in gridlock. And when you see an e-bike just whiz by you, you know, in the bike lane or the sidewalk or something, you're going to be like, dang, this kid looks like he's having so much fun. And he's going faster than me. That's what I need. And so youfree.com, E-U-P-H-R-E-E. And let me tell you, I saw Cody riding the bike. And I mean, it was so fast. I, I don't think I've ever seen it. an e-bike close to me. And I was like, damn, I want to do that. Yeah. So thank you so much, Danielle. I really appreciate you. And I'm sure everyone else will be inspired by your story. And I'm sure we'll continue to collaborate with Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Alrighty. Thank you so much for listening at With Clarity and Purpose. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Sharing is caring. Please share with your friends and family so we can continue building an empowered community together. I'll see you next week.